0: Praise the Lord. It's good to be in God's house this morning. Amen. Good to see each and every one of you. And uh, we're getting close to that time where it's the end of the year. And when it gets close to the end of the year, I generally start to get really busy and I generally start to forget things. Which is why, for those who haven't noticed yet or didn't hear me explaining before, I'm not wearing a tie. I. got all the way to church, and completely forgot to grab a tie this morning, so no tie. But that's okay, amen. Uh, I think I told Brother Raddick, I don't believe the Apostle Paul was wearing a tie when he preached, and he did okay, amen. So we believe that God can anoint with or without a tie, (laughs) praise the Lord. But this morning, we are going to start a new series. We are getting towards the end of the year, and it is becoming... Getting close to one of Pastor's favorite times of the year, which is Christmas time. I like Christmas time. Amen. We've already got the Christmas carols going in our house. And, uh, you know, we don't listen to those, you know, other ones like Jingle Bells and Dashing Through the Snow and Santa Claus and stuff like that. We listen to songs about Jesus because that's what Christmas is about. Amen. And so for the next um, three weeks, we're going to start a new series. Um, And we're going to talk about unwrapping Christmas, and I see Sister Kerry's up the back there. Do you want to pop that up for me? You already have. Wow, organized. Thank you. Praise the Lord. We're going to talk about unwrapping Christmas, and we're going to talk about the true meaning of Christmas. Because if you think about Christmas, if you ask anyone out in the streets what Christmas means to them, I think you will find that the true meaning has been lost. A lot of people think Christmas is about presents, Christmas is about snow, or if you're in this part of the country, no snow. Um, Christmas is about reindeer, Christmas is about Santa. This is the kind of thing the world thinks Christmas is about. There's also something deeper. The, the true meaning of Christmas has been replaced also by materialism. This idea of, well, I want to get the best presents. And what can I get? And selfishness, right? And people think, well, I don't want that gift. You know, that's not a good gift for me. I didn't want that. This is what I wanted. And so people become ungrateful. These are, these are all the kind of things that we see. Around Christmas time. So, the Christmas season has long been a time of parties, you know, and a time of wish lists and a time of focusing on selves. But, you know, the other interesting thing about Christmas is that at Christmas time, issues like depression also spike around Christmas time because people have become so fixated on Christmas and receiving gifts and spending time in parties that when they don't receive gifts because they don't have family or they don't have friends or they're recently divorced or something like that. You know, these things affect people because they've lost what the true meaning of Christmas is. Amen. Turn to the person next, you say the true meaning of Christmas. The true meaning of Christmas. So over the next three weeks as we explore this idea of the true meaning of Christmas, of unwrapping Christmas, we are going to find out what it is and remind ourselves the true meaning of christmas is amen if you want to go to your bibles i want to share with you the scripture that we're going to be looking at today matthew chapter 1 and we're going to read Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 It says this, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Verse 22, Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Amen. Now, let me ask you a question. Does anyone here know what play-doh is play-doh you know kids play with it you build little things with it play-doh you know your kids um you know you can build little star shapes you get little play-doh factories it's this pasty stuff it's a bit more solid than the stuff that they put on my head last sunday that was quite runny all right, that was a bit like Play-Doh. It kind of turned to Play-Doh after a little while, right? And it's lots of different colors. It's red, it's yellow, it's blue, it's green. You can even make your own Play-Doh at home. Play-Doh. But do you know Play-Doh was initially, originally designed not to be a toy? No, originally, Play-Doh was a cleaning product. You see, back in the early 1920s, 1930s, back in America, where Play-Doh was invented, a lot of people burned coal in their heaters at home. And what would happen is the black soot, the, the smoke, would get onto the wallpaper. And so this chemical company invented Play-Doh as a cleaning product. Now, they didn't call it Play-Doh. They called it something else. Right? But you would get a bunch of this Play-Doh stuff, and you'd rub it up and down on the walls. And it would clean all the soot off the wallpaper and make your wallpaper nice and clean again. And every couple of months, you'd get on the wallpaper with the Play-Doh and do it. But then around the 1940s, 1950s, America switched from coal to gas. And all of a sudden, nobody was burning coal. And so the makers of Play-Doh, remember, it wasn't called Play-Doh, but the makers of this cleaning product went, our market is gone. Nobody has soot on their wallpaper anymore. What are we going to do With all this stuff we've made, and someone, I think it was the inventor's son, decided, you know what? If we put some color in there and make it a bit more squishy, we could sell it as a children's toy. And that's where Play-Doh came from. So originally, Play-Doh was designed as a cleaning product. But instead, someone found a better use for it and turned it into Play-Doh, a kid's toy, which millions of kids have, have played with before. But you know, when you, when you look at the Old Testament, there's something similar in there. Another analogy that works the same way, in the Old Testament, God had a plan for relationships with people. God had a plan to know humanity, and for the Old Testament, it was fine. For a while, it worked okay, but there reached a point in time where it was no longer okay where that old way of doing things didn't really work. And so with the birth of Jesus, God unveiled a new plan, a better way, a better way to do the same thing, which was a covenant relationship, but a better way to do it, a better way to accomplish it, amen? And so God's purpose for Christmas is to reveal His perfect plan for a fulfilling relationship with you. God has a perfect plan plan for a covenant relationship with you and sometimes we get into old habits and old ways of doing things and God's like no no no, let me show you what my word says that is what Christmas was about was when God instituted a new way of relationship amen amen now have you ever regifted a Christmas present while we're on Christmas have you ever got a Christmas present and gone that is so nice thank you so much completely insincere and then you get it, and then like, around about August, November, the next year, you're like, I need to buy a Christmas present for Brother Raddick, what can I buy him? Oh, there's this Christmas present that Sister Elsie got me, I don't really like it that much, so I'm going to wrap it up, and I'm going to give it to Brother Raddick. <laughs> ever done that? I don't know, I don't know if I've done that. You know, just, just you either don't appreciate the gift, or you don't really use it, or, and you forget about it, or you give it to somebody else, but, you know... That God's gift to us is the most valuable gift we could ever hope to buy. You know, and, and I fear sometimes that in our walk with God, we can treat the gift that God has given us. This is again why we're exploring Christmas. The gift that God has given to us is so precious that the God of the universe who created every molecule around you, who created the world, who holds your breath in his hands, we can sometimes treat that like, oh, it's okay, it's all right, doesn't matter, I'll go to church on Sunday, but you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, busy with work, busy with family, busy with life, other things happening, hello? And in doing so, we can treat the gift that God has given us of himself and we don't realize how precious it is that the God of the universe came himself to walk among us, even when he knew that at Easter time he was going to be killed. What a precious gift we had from God at Christmas time. Amen. Turn in your Bibles. Let's have a look at what the Bible says about how precious this gift is. Luke chapter 2. We'll read from verse 25. Say amen when you're there. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Excuse me. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of the people Israel. Amen. You know, you notice Simeon's words here. He's saying that Jesus is described as the salvation of the entire world, prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the Gentiles and the glory of the Jews. And and that, my friends, is the truest meaning of Christmas that you will ever find. That Jesus Christ came to be the salvation for this world world it is the most precious gift we could ever come across it is the most wonderful gift we could ever receive the fact that we could have a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ the fact that the doors are open it is far better than any gift that anyone else could ever buy you it is surpasses all that money could spend on to buy but this gift of relationship with Jesus Christ because he was willing to come is the most precious gift we have ever received you know, Jesus is the reason for all Christmas, past, present, and future. You know, the event that we celebrate as Christmas, you know, and, and, and we know that Jesus wasn't necessarily born on December the 25th, but the event of Christmas, what we celebrate as Christmas, that was in the mind of God before time even began. In you know, Revelation chapter 13 and verse eight, it refers to Jesus as the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So before there was Santa Claus, before there was Christmas presents, before there was songs about reindeer, before there was getting together and eating too much food at Christmas time, God, before he even ever created time, had in his mind that one day he was going to come and save his people from their sins. This is why it's the most precious gift we could ever imagine. This soul-cleansing effect of Jesus Christ's death and the redemptive power of His blood on the cross, it spans the sins of the saints of the Old Testament and the saints of the New Testament because it was slain before the foundation of the world. Amen? Every sin that has ever been committed, that ever will be committed, the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cover that. That ought to make you happy. That ought to make you excited. Someone say amen. 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 And so Jesus came to earth as a baby. He grew into a man, and then he died on a cross bearing the weight of our sin. Amen. The weight of the world's sin. And in doing so, he created a covenant. A covenant between him and between those who would be willing. Amen. Now, what is a covenant? Covenant. I've I've spoken about this before. I know I've taught this before. So this might seem a little bit like, yes, pastor, we know this. But let me tell you again. A covenant is a binding relationship. It is a binding contract. It is an agreement between two different people. Amen? And there's covenants all through the Bible. God had a covenant with Noah. Amen? After God destroyed the earth with the flood... Noah came out after the end of 40 days and 40 nights and stood on the earth again. God put a rainbow in the sky, and God said, This is my covenant with you, Noah, that I will never again destroy the earth with a flood. That was a covenant. God entered into an agreement with Noah that this was what God was going to do. God had a covenant with Abraham. He said, Your seed will be like the stars in the sky. They will be without number. He promised to Abraham that I will make of you a great nation, that he would be the father of the faithful. Amen. That was a covenant that God had made with Abraham. Amen. Amen. Then there was God's covenant with King David, another covenant. God promised that King David's heirs would always sit on the throne, that there would not lack a king to sit on the throne of Israel. And that was fulfilled all the way up until the time of Jesus Christ. Amen? It was a covenant. In the modern day sense, uh, marriage is an excellent example of a covenant. Right? A husband and a wife, you have a covenant together to love, to support, for better, for worse, for richer, to poorer, and sickness in health. Amen? And nothing should break that. Amen? That's a covenant. Another example of a covenant in a modern sense is if you go to work, you get a new job. What do they get you to do? They sign a, you sign a contract. Amen. And the covenant is I will do everything that's in my job description that I'm signing, and you will pay me money. Amen. It's a contract. And if they break their contract, they don't pay you anymore. Are you going to stick around? Probably not. But if you break your contract and you don't do what your work is requiring you to do, will they keep you around? Probably not. Amen. And so a contract is unchangeable. If Brother Raddick, he has a contract to cook food, but if he went to work, and he said, you know what, Rohit, that's his name, we know the owner, I don't really feel like cooking food, um, I want to be a cleaner, let me, I just want to sweep the floors, do the tables, that's all I want to do, you can't change the contract, it's a contract, amen. Wrote, it might say, well, that's fine, but we no longer have a place for you anymore because I've already got a cleaner on contract. Hello? Right, so a contract is a binding agreement and a binding promise that cannot be changed. Amen? It's meant to be fixed. But then there was a final contract, a final covenant, and that's what we're going to talk about today. In Hebrews, let's turn over to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8. Alright, we'll read through this and then we'll just go back over it again. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6 says this, But now has he, and it's talking about Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. See, there it is, a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. But finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not, says the Lord. Amen. Now notice here it says the ministry or the service or what Jesus does for us or what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross is better than the ministry of the Old Testament priests. The ministry of the Old Testament priests was based in time. It was temporal. In other words, it didn't last forever. So in other words, if you sinned, if you made a mistake, you would have to come and you would have to offer a lamb. You'd have to offer a sacrifice and that lamb would be killed and then your sins would be forgiven. But then if you messed up again, two days later, you'd have to take another lamb and offer another sacrifice for sin. And then as a nation, as a whole, The sacrifices of lambs, the blood of lambs and goats in itself was not sufficient. It was based in time. And so the priest, once a year, would take some blood into the altar, into the Ark of the Covenant, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat, and God would forgive the sins of the nation of Israel, the whole nation, for one year. And the sins would be moved forward for one year. And then one year later, another lamb would have to be killed. A priest would have to go through and sprinkle the blood again on the mercy seat. And the sins would be pushed on for one more year. It worked, but it wasn't great. It worked, but it wasn't great. You know, they were based in time, and, and and they were based on physical blessings. You know, God said, well, if you serve me, I will give you good crops. If you serve me, I will make sure your enemies don't come and attack you. If you serve me, I will make sure you defeat your enemies in battle. They were based on physical blessings. But the promises of the New Testament, the promises of the new covenant, they are eternal. They're not based on what happens down here, but they last for far longer. Over on the other side, in eternity. Amen. And the promises that we have down here when the blood of Jesus was shed, it's sufficient for all of our sins. Amen. We don't have to come and sacrifice another lamb. We don't have to get Jesus to be killed again to pay for our sins. No, but once the price has been paid, the price has been paid forever. And we can come, yes, we're going to make mistakes, we're not perfect, we're going to do things wrong, but we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, will you forgive me? And the Bible says he is just and willing to forgive us our sins, our trespasses. Amen? Why? Because the price has already been paid. There's no further payment required. That's why it is better. That's why it's a better covenant, a better covenant relationship that God has with his people. Amen? The system did not offer a permanent solution. But what it did do was it pointed to Jesus by saying that one day there would be a lamb that would come that would be sufficient to pay all of the sins. You know, before the cross, you know, as as people would sin and people would bring their lambs and that day of atonement would happen, sin was just rolled forward, rolled forward. It was like a big book was kept in tally in anticipation of what was going to happen at the cross in anticipation that one day this burden that was building up. I mean, can you imagine that? That burden is continually building up, building up, getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until one day Jesus would carry all the weight of that sin on his shoulders amen. and pay the price for every sin that had ever been committed in history up until that point. What a great God we serve, amen. amen. What a great God we serve. And then when we read on a bit further, I'm not going to take too long today. In Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10, it says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. Amen. And and this is the heart of Christmas. This is what the Christmas message is about that the new covenant results in an inner change to our hearts. An inner change that cleanses our hearts and completely eliminates sin completely obliterates sin. It gets rid of sin. Amen? That is the heart of Christmas. That's what Christmas is about. And because sin is gone, because you're not having to continually push it forward and push it forward and push it forward, we are able to have a permanent relationship, a permanent covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Because sin is gone. Amen? This is why when we make a mistake, we're not out of covenant relationship with God. Let me just just talk on this for just a little bit here. Sometimes we think, when we fail God, our covenant relationship with God is broken. That's not true. That's not true. We are still in a covenant relationship with God. There's things we've got to address, and we do, but the relationship is still intact. How do we know this? story of the prodigal son. We know the story, don't we? He goes to his father. He says, Father, I, basically what he said is, I want you to be dead. That's what he said. I wish you were dead. In the culture, that's what he was saying. What he actually said was, Father, give me the inheritance that's going to come to me when you die. And so the father gives him his inheritance. And he goes away. And he spends it all. He has a party. He lives life up. But he ends up bankrupt and broken and destitute and poor. And the only thing he can find to do is to go to a farmer who grows pigs. It's some Gentile city that he's in. And here's this good Jewish boy. And he's sitting in a pig pen in the mud, feeding unclean animals. Think about how terrible that would be to someone from a Jewish background. And he's so hungry, he's considering eating the food that the pigs are eating. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to eat pig food. He is dirty, he is filthy, he is horrible. But do you know there is one thing that has not changed? In the middle of sitting in the mud and the muck, he is still the father's son. That hasn't changed. It didn't matter how far he went, he was still the father's son. The relationship was still there. It was estranged, they were separated he was in sin, but he was still the father's son. How do we know that? We know that because he comes back and he says, I'm going to change my relationship. I am not worthy to be a son anymore. I want to be a slave because that's all I'm worthy of now. What does the father do? The father runs to him, throws his arms around him, kisses him, this boy who is dirty and filthy and unclean, ceremonially and literally, and says, this is my beloved son. Nothing's changed. The relationship is still there. He is still a son, amen? It is the same in our life. When we make mistakes, when we fall away, when we're doing things we know we shouldn't do, our covenant relationship is intact. We are still a son. We are still a daughter. But it doesn't mean we use that as a license to go, it doesn't matter what I do. No, 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 no. That misses the whole point of Christmas. The whole point is that there is still a path back to the father's house. There is still a way to go to be able to get back into that house and say, I am still your son. I am still your daughter, amen. Amen? This is why the Bible says we can come boldly before the throne of grace. That's what grace does for us. Amen. And so please, I beg of you, when you make a mistake, this, the, the, the problem is not, well, I'm not going to come to church now because I've made a mistake and I've, I've, you know, I've done this, I'm, I'm silly, I shouldn't have done that. No, that is the wrong thing to do because you're still a son. You're still a daughter. You need to find your way back to God's house as soon as you can. It doesn't matter if you are physically, I mean, if you are spiritually dirty, you're spiritually in need of a clean, you are still the son and the daughter of God. Amen? And this is why this covenant is so much better because in the Old Testament, when they would make a mistake, death was the penalty. That's what would happen. If they didn't atone for it, It'd be dead. You look at it all through. They murmured against the Lord. What happened? Plague breaks out. They complain against Moses. The ground opens up and people are swallowed whole. Not the greatest covenant. It works. But like Plato was changed to become something better. The covenant that was in the Old Testament was changed to become what we have today. And Jesus did that for us on the cross And it happened when God decided to come to earth to be born in a stable, in a manger. Amen. And so the new covenant enables us to have a close personal relationship with God and it's not a relationship like the old covenant where it's I have to keep this feast and I have to sacrifice this animal and I have to do this and I have to follow this rule and I have to do that rule and I have to be like this and I have to act like this but you know just like me not wearing a tie doesn't change the fact that I'm in a covenant relationship with God it doesn't change the fact that I'm still the pastor of the church amen we need to understand that our sin does not change. Change our relationship with God. We are still His Son. We need to address it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying go do what you want to do, go live how you want to live. No, no, I'm not preaching that kind of crazy doctrine. But what I am saying is that we still have a covenant relationship with God. We can still make our way back. And it's personal, it's not formed on rituals. We can just lift up our voice at any place, any time, anywhere and say, Jesus, I made a mistake. I want to come back. I still want to be in relationship with you. I still want to know you. I still want to serve you. Amen. You don't need the pastor to have that prayer. You don't need to be in church to be like that. You could do that anywhere you want. And God is right there. It's a personal relationship. Amen. We read on in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12. It says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more in that he said a new covenant he has made the first old now that which decayeth and waxes old is ready to vanish away the writer of Hebrews here is reinforcing no the old covenant is dead and gone and it's been replaced by the new covenant amen and you know there's, there's an interesting part in this passage and we get this idea that you know, God somehow forgets things. You know, God doesn't forget anything. You know that? I know the Bible says here that, I will, will I remember no more? That doesn't mean God forgot. Hello? We sometimes preach, I've heard it preached, this idea that, you know, there's this phrase that people use, God casts our, seas into a, our sins into a sea of forgetfulness. Something. I don't really think that's true. I don't see that in the Bible. I think what we find under the new covenant is that God chooses not to remember what we've done. That's his commitment to us. Amen? And we, we see this in our relationships. How often do you get into a fight with your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your brother, your sister, cousins, uncles, and what happens is often you bring up stuff that happened in the past. Well, you know, three weeks ago you said blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, a month ago you said blah, blah, blah. And then you did this, and then you did that. And I remember when your uncle did this three years ago. Hello? We bring up the past. But I am so glad that we serve a God That when I come to him because I've made a mistake, but I recognize I'm still in covenant relationship with him and I lay my life down on the altar again and I say, Jesus, cleanse me. Make me new. Help me to be more like you. Help me not to fail again. He doesn't turn around and go, well, this is the 15th time you've failed me like this, Jason. No, no, no. Grace. We have grace under the new covenant. That's why it's a better covenant. That's why it's an amazing covenant. And that's why Christmas is the most amazing time of the year. Amen. And so Christmas, God's purpose for Christmas. Christmas is about God becoming one of us. You see, and this is the other beautiful thing. Take everything that I have described right now. This idea of trying to stand, this idea of being tempted, this idea of, you know, sometimes making a mistake and having to find their way back to God, but understanding that I'm still in covenant relationship with God. Jesus does not just know how that feels intellectually. He does not know just how that feels with his mind, like, you know, I know what it's like to do something I've never done before. No, but Christmas was a time when God veiled himself in flesh and became exactly like, like you and like me. The Bible says in Hebrews a little bit earlier on that he was tempted and tested in all points, like we were, yet without sin. Amen. This is why he is a great high priest and this is why the covenant that he looks after is so much better, amen, because he is not a high priest who cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. He understands what it means to be tested. He understands what it means to be trialed and understands what it means to feel the pressure to quit and to give in and to go back and let me tell you, he never sinned but he understands the feelings of sin. He understands the weight of sin. He understands what it feels to feel the guilt. He understands what it feels like when the father turns his back on his son and he begins to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We can feel like that sometimes and Jesus felt like that and that should give us comfort because at Christmas time we remember that the God that we serve is not a God who is afar off. He is not a God who is distant from us. He's not a God who is sitting up there in heaven somewhere surrounded by white fluffy clouds looking at all these people going, oh my goodness, I wish they could just serve me a little bit better. No, he knew what it was like to be tested and tempted. And he walked this earth to know exactly what it was like to go through what you and I go through through. Amen. And so we understand that because of this, uh, Jesus can emphasize with us, uh, when we come to God, when we come to the Lord, we're not talking to someone who has no idea what it's like. We're not talking to someone who has no idea what it's like to face temptation, to face trials, where he can put his arm around you, as it were, and says, it's okay, my child, I know what you're going through. I know what this feels like, but I'm still here. My relationship with you has not changed. My relationship has not been altered. We are still a covenant relationship. I am still your father and you are still my child. Amen. And that means, my friends, that as we go through life's trials, we can be confident that God understands our hurts and understands our struggles. We can be confident that God knows so, Christmas is about changing the way that humanity relates to God. Because before the birth of Jesus, there was the old covenant, the old way. But after the birth began the process that would lead to the new covenant, the new way in which humanity could relate to Jesus. And so, at Christmas time, this idea of sacrificial love was wrapped up in a little baby and given to earth. It said, here is how much I love you. Don't we just love the Lord this morning for what He did? Amen. And so, you know, we sing that Christmas carol, All I Want for Christmas. I think the words are, All I Want for Christmas is You. I normally sing it to Janie, All I Want for Christmas is Shoes. But uh, (laughs) All I Want for Christmas is for you to understand that Christmas is more about a baby in a manger. It's more about, more than the miracle of the virgin birth. It's more than the fact that God came to be with one of us. But what does God give you for Christmas? What is God's gift for you this Christmas as we get ready for this season that we're in? God's gift to you is complete freedom from sin. To be free from the shackles of what holds you back. That's God's gift to you. God's gift for you is a pardon for the mistakes that you have made. God's gift to you is liberation from the burden of sin. From shame. From stress. From worry. That is what God's gift is. And so today, as we all stand, it is up to you. To accept God's gift. It's up to you to accept God's gift. Acts chapter 2. Verse 38 says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, he goes on, is unto you. And to your children, and to all who are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That is God's gift to us, but it's up to us to accept that. It's up to us to say, Yes, I want to be a part of the new covenant. It's up to us to say, Yes, I want to be baptized in Jesus' name. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to repent of my sin. It's up to us. And so my first question for you at this Christmas time is if you have not been baptized in the name of Jesus, you want to know what it's like to live a life completely free from sin and shame, then you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. For those of you who have been baptized, Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 gives us instruction. Paul writes, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, verse 2 says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Brothers and sisters who have been saved, living for God, filled with the Holy Spirit, we need to allow what Jesus did on the cross and the fact of Christmas to transform our lives, to live transformed lives, to not be the same, to live a life of surrender, to allow the Holy Spirit to transform our lives. And most importantly, do not conform to this world. Do not allow this world to mold your thoughts. The way the world handles situations is wrong. The way the world handles life is wrong. But we understand that God has a plan for our lives. And so do not conform to this world. And allow God to remake you. Allow God to mold you. To change your life. To become more like Him. Amen. Oh, I feel the presence of the Lord here today. What a wonderful time of the year Christmas is, especially for those of us who understand what Christmas is about. We celebrate the gifts that God has given us. Let's just close our eyes right now. Let's lift our hands. Let's worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, precious Jesus, we worship your Lord. We magnify your name, oh God. Oh, we praise you, Lord. There's nobody like you, Lord. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Lord. We thank you for this time of the year. We thank you, Lord, that we can serve you. We thank you for your gift, Lord Jesus, where you would come to earth, Lord, to be with your people, Lord, to learn what it was like to manifest, to 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 be tempted and to be to be tested, Lord. But Lord, to understand the pressures that we face as your children, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you are like us, Lord. You understand us, Lord God. You see our weaknesses, Lord. You see where we fail you, Lord. But we are still your son. We are still your daughter, Lord. And we're grateful for that, Lord. We're grateful for the covenant relationship we have, Lord. That it is a better relationship. It's a better relationship, Lord, than what was available before, Lord God we thank you, we praise you, we give you all the glory, Lord God, help us to accept the gift of salvation that you have given us, Lord God, help us, Lord, to live lives of repentance, Lord, Lord, to live lives where we ask you for forgiveness for our sins, Lord God, to live lives, Lord God, where we can put you first, Lord, and make you the priority, Lord, in our lives, in the lives of our families, Lord, in our communities, in our workplaces, Lord praise you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this live class. We thank you for this time we've spent together, and we thank you, Lord, for this season that we're in. Lord, God, help us, Lord, to remember the true meaning of what Christmas really is, Lord, as we go through the rest of this month, Lord, this live class. We love you. We praise you. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise.